Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. But if you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read just this, uh, our theme text. We're in the, this collection of talks called Above and Beyond. Somebody say Above and Beyond. Above and beyond, and uh, really, God put this on our heart because every year, um, we're going to, around this time of the year, October, November-ish, we'll have a collection of conversations around this idea about making a difference. The vision of our church is to see every single person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. By the way, we actually believe that that is, those are those four things God wants for every single one of us. He wants for every single person to know him, not to just have a set of doctrines or dogma or beliefs, but he actually wants you to know him personally and intimately, for there to be an intimate relationship with God that you know God personally, not through your parents, not through some minister or some pastor, but that personally you would know God. Uh, That's his desire, number one. Number two, he wants every single one of us to find freedom in our life, to walk in freedom. Have, Have you ever noticed that it's so easy to go through things in life and for those things to affect us and to create bondage in our life or strongholds or cycles or patterns in our life, whatever you want to call it, and those things can actually hinder the way that you see God, but it can also hinder the way that you see people because we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. That is that we see things through the lens of our heart, through the things that we've walked through and gone through, but God wants to bring healing into our lives and bring freedom into our lives so that he can not just free us from something, but for something because he has a great purpose for every one of our lives. And so the third thing is this, is that God wants you to discover your purpose. He wants you to know why on earth you're here. Two of the most important days of your life is the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. And God wants every person to know their purpose. But this fourth part is really important to us. I believe that God wants every single one of us, every one of us to make a difference with our life. Life is not just about this life. Life is not just about living for yourself or for myself. Life is about making a difference in the lives of other people. And, um, and as, as a church, it's one of our greatest desires for you is we want you to make a difference with your life. How many you know that life is more than just making money? Now, it's nice to make money, but life is way more important than just making money. I know a lot of people that make a lot of money, but they're not making a difference and they still feel empty. But when you begin to make a difference with your life, it brings so much joy in your life. It brings so much fulfillment. And Jesus said it in John 15, he said, man, when you start making a difference, you start bearing much fruit, he said, my joy is going to be in you and it will be complete. That's what God wants to do in our lives. And so this, this collection of talks is really about that. It's about making a difference. And last week, we, uh, we really began to dig through the doxology in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. If you didn't hear it, man, go to the podcast, listen to it. God really spoke to us. And this is what we felt like God said first. The starting point, if God's going to do something through our lives, the starting point is for him to do something in our lives. Is that God not only wants to use you, but he, he wants you to delight yourself in him. He wants to do a work deep in your heart. He wants to flood your heart with his love. He wants to flood Flood your heart with his grace and then out of that place of grace and love and gratitude that, that, that out of that place, your life would simply be an overflow and you'd make a difference from that because God doesn't want you to feel guilty, but he does want you to feel responsible. He doesn't want you to feel guilty and go around like, I got to help poor people. I got to serve broken people. I got to do this. I got to do that. He doesn't want that. That's religion and that's duty. God doesn't want us making a difference out of duty, but out of delight, out of delighting in who he is and it being an outworking and an overflow from our life. 
And so we started with that. I think that's the best place for us to start. Um, and the scripture that we, that we kind of took this whole concept from above and beyond is the last two verses in the doxology. And here's what it says. I want to read it to you. Now to him who is able, actually I'm going to push pause. I want you to read this with me. Today we're going to participate together in Jesus' name. Come on, say this with me. I'm going to count to three and I want you to be loud and proud. One, two, three. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for that? That's a good scripture. That's a good one, Elton. Now to him who is able. How many believe that God is able? Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that is at work where? In us. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. All this making a difference, all the things that God wants to do above and beyond our life is so that, so that he receives glory from it. Is it for our benefit? Yeah. Is it for people's good? Yeah. But it's ultimately for the glory of God. And that's what this whole thing is all about. Now, last week, we talked about God working in our lives and um, filling our lives with his love and his grace. But this week, I, I want to talk about something a little bit different. I want to talk about how God wants to work through our lives. And the way that I believe that, uh, one of the ways that I believe that God works through our lives is kind of what Josh was talking about earlier. It's in the area of generosity. And, uh, and you know, I, I want to share this with you, and, and it is a, a deep burden and passion of mine uh, as a church. I want our church to always be known as being the most one of the most generous churches. I want, not just as a church, like an organization or some institution, but as a people. I want people that know you at your work as, as they come to, to really get to know you, that they would be like, man, he is so generous. That's the most generous person. And then they find out you're a Christian. And then they find out that you're from this church. I pray that every person in our church is known in the, their workplace, in their community, as being one of the most generous people. On your block, in your neighborhood, occupying your street, that you're one of the most generous people. It's one of my passions. And here's why. Because God has done a deep work in my heart about this. I used to be so self-centered and so stingy. And God's still working on me. I feel like I have orange cones all around my life because He's just doing construction still. He's still teaching me. And sometimes I still make it about me, but it's not about me. It is about making a difference in other people's lives. Now, um, I want to read you this scripture, but before I do, I want to pray. And I want us to pray for, for those that have been affected by the fire. So I want you to do this. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a moment uh, before we talk about generosity. Uh, let's pray for people. Um, God, I, I just pray today uh, for those that, that are all over our great state that have been affected by these fires. They've lost everything. Many people have lost their possessions. Some have lost family members and friends. And they just don't know what to do. And they're, they're overwhelmed right now with grief. God, I thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. God, I thank you that you comfort us in our discomfort. And so right now as a church, we just, we pray. And we just say, God, will you come alongside those precious families, those individuals, those that are hurting so bad right now, even as we're worshiping in here and we're having this great moment, there are people that may even be in this room that are walking through uncertainty or loss. Or maybe there's a family member, a friend of someone here, they're walking through that. God, I pray you be with them today. May we as a church not move too fast beyond this to some other headline, but may we rest in this moment and say, God, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters that have lost so much. God, will you provide every need? Even for us as a church, will you show us, give us a strategy on how we can partner and how we can be a part 
um, to make a difference in people's lives. Just as we did last year in the Santa Rosa fires and all that, God, I pray that you would again use us, use our prayers, and use our resources to make a difference in their lives. We thank you that today you're going to speak to our hearts through your word uh, because we want to grow in the area of generosity. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands um, for God's word here. Genesis chapter 12. Let me read this really quick. This, this, is, this is great. I was actually going to just preach from this passage, but I want to share some other scriptures with you uh, that, that really have shaped my life and Jennifer's life, our family, in the area of generosity. But I read this this past week, and, uh, and it reminded me of something that my mom taught me uh, when I was young. But look at this. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, this, is, this is the story of the calling of Abram, which his name later would be called Abraham. Uh, but look at this in verse 12. It says, The Lord said to Abram, says, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. And he says this, he says, I will make you into a great nation. He says, I will bless you. How many of you are thankful that God wants to bless his children's life? Okay, a few of you believe that. I'm going to receive that for myself, okay? You keep buying lottery tickets. I'm going to just keep just thanking God for his blessing. Okay. He says, uh, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will look at this. I will make your name great. I'm gonna give you a great reputation. He says, I'll make your name great. And look at this. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. I was reading this this week, and um, I begin to look at, 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 at the different chapters that were leading up to it. I like to read the context of what I'm reading. Interesting is that, you know, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you see the creation account, and then you see in chapter 3, you see the fall of man, and then you see in that moment there is a promise. It's kind of hidden in verse 15 there. There's a, the promise of, really, it's the promise of Jesus that will one day come, um, the seed of the promised Jesus that will one day come and deliver his people, and, and everything that, that, that was lost in the Garden of Eden will be restored and be redeemed through Jesus. And so that promise was made in chapter three. And then you see the next few chapters there. You see like the flood, you see Noah and his family and all those things that happen. And then you, you get over to like chapter 10 and you start seeing all these genealogies and stuff. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you read through the Old Testament, you see these genealogies, these family trees, essentially. What the, the, the authors are doing is they're, they're tracking that promised seed from Genesis chapter 3 that the Messiah would come. It's tracking it through all these genealogies until the day that Jesus is born, right? And so it shows that. Well, in chapter number 10 in Genesis, there's something called the Table of Nations. And the Table of Nations basically is broken down by three sons. And it's Noah's three sons. Uh, uh, it's, it's Shem, it's, uh, what's the other guy's name? Shem, Ham, and uh, Japheth, right? And so these three different guys is basically where, the, where humanity has come out of. It's really from these three places. Uh, Japheth is where, whenever he, where, the place where he went and settled is essentially it's Europe. Okay, that's where Japheth went. The second person is Ham, where he went and, sh uh, and settled was basically Africa. That enti the entire continent there. But then Shem, where he went and settled, was the, an the ancient east, which is now basically Iran, Iraq, that, that region there, right? And uh, this guy, Shem, um, the Bible continues to, to carry his family line through that chapter there because he, the seed, the promise of Jesus, the Messiah that would one day come, would come through the sons of Shem or the descendants of Shem. And uh, interesting, Shem yeah, that actually just means name. Name in Hebrew is Shem. So literally, this brother's name was name. 
That's pretty genius, isn't it? His name is name. By the way, uh, make a little announcement for you. Uh, Jennifer and I, uh, we've been praying and believing that God was going to give us another child. So we've been praying and we were doing our part. And, uh, you know, faith without works is dead, as we talked about last week. Um, I got a couple pictures for you up here. I want to show you this. Um, this, is, this was our number one son, Liam, right here. Um, we did our part. God did his part. This was number two, Nixon. And, uh, and then check this out. We got number three on the way. And guess what? Guess what it is? It's a girl. Girl is on the way. I think we're going to name her Shem. What do you think about that? No? No. My mom's up there waving her hand no and Jennifer's shaking her head no. <clears throat> but look, check this out. And, and I, I don't even really have this in my notes, but I just, I feel like I should say this. So, so Shem, the sons of Shem, okay? They settle in this region, which later on, it, as it, the story develops, it's the area, the region of, the, of Babylonia, Right? You remember the, the place in the Bible called Babylon? Okay, so, so the sons of Shem, the sons of Naim, settle in this region. And as they begin to settle in this region, the Bible says in chapter number 11, if you remember, that this group of people in an area called Babel, they begin to say, we're going we're gonna to build this great city and we're going to build a great tower. This tower is going to be taller than any other building. It's going to reach all the way up to the heavens. It kind of reminds me of Salesforce One. And, and it's, like, it's like they said, we're going to build this great, great city, and we're going to build this great tower all the way up, and it's going to touch the heavens. And all of this was in their own efforts to try to do what? Read it when you get a chance, chapter 11. They said, we're going to make our name great. So the sons of name are saying we, in our own efforts, are going to build our own identity, and we're in our own efforts and what we're going to build and what we're going to do, apart from God, we're going to make our own name great. We're, we're going to make our own name great, and we're going to build this great tower, and all the other nations, they're going to look to our, our, our nation. They're going to look to our city and our people group, and we're going to look at our tower, and, and fear is going to grip their heart, and they're going to be jealous for what we have. Doesn't that sound so familiar, like many times how, how culture can live their lives, how our culture can live our lives, how we just build things up to ourselves. We build monuments to ourselves just to make our own name great. Now, here's what's interesting. God sees that. He comes down because that's ultimately it's rebellion, saying that I'm going to make myself great and I'm going to find my own identity apart from God. I don't need God's help. I'm going to do this. I'm going to find my identity in what I build. I'm going to find my identity in my job. I'm going to find my identity in my possessions. And God says, that's not the way that I'm going to let you roll. So he comes down and he stops the work. The tower stays unfinished. He confuses them by all speaking different languages. It's a wonder. It's a crazy thing that happens. And then you, you, you begin to think in chapter 11, like, what, now what's going to happen? Because this, this is where the promise was coming through the descendants or the sons of Shem. And the very next chapter is chapter 12. Moses is the writer of Genesis. Uh, he's the one that documented those first five books there. And he strategically puts chapter 12 right after chapter 11 because the first thing that God does, God says this to Abraham. He calls Abraham out of, he's one of the, son, he's one of the descendants of, of Shem. He calls him out of that Babylonia region and he says, I'm going to bring you to a completely different place. And he says, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And look at this. He says, I'm going to make your name great. He says, I'm going to make your name great. You don't have to try to make your name great. You don't have to, in your own attempts to try to build some big life, and all, you don't have to, just, if you'll just trust me, and if you'll just follow me, 
And if you'll be willing to live a life of sacrifice, because he tells him, leave your family, not his immediate family, but his, his father's house and all that. And if you'll leave all that, you'll leave your comforts, you'll leave all that and just follow me. He goes, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place to, 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 to plant your roots into a place where you can belong. He goes, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm, I'm going to bless your life. Financially, he ends up being so blessed. He goes, I'm going to do all that for you. I just need you to do one thing for me. I just need you to promise you're going to be a blessing to other people. And I remember reading this passage when I was a young kid, even before I became a follower of Christ. And I remember my mom and my dad, they taught me this one principle. They said, you know what? God wants to bless your life, son. But he wants to bless you not just for your benefit. He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Notice that God says to Abram here, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be amazing. But it's so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. This wasn't a blessing just for him. It wasn't just for his family. It wasn't even just for the children of Israel. It was for all the peoples of the earth. He says, there's a global thing that I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it through your life. And it's going to start by you trusting me, following me, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to put your faith in me that I'm going to do a great work through your life. And if you'll just be willing to be a blessing, I'm going to use you in a great and a powerful way. Now, we know that, that later on the story goes is that, this, is that Jesus, the, the promise seed, he comes through that. And now we have Father Abraham is now the father of uh, Father Abraham. Has many sons. You ever notice that's like the Christian hokey pokey? That is the weirdest song. Okay. Now, now, here's what you may be thinking. You're like, Jason, that's a promise for Abraham. That's not for us. We're 2018. We're a church. That was a unique promise to just Abraham. Well, check this out. Galatians chapter 3 says, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. That's us. Blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. That promise that God says to Abraham, I'm going to pour blessing on your life, but I want you to be a blessing to other people I believe that God still wants to do that today to us and through us in our lives. How many of you receive that today? You say, I want God to bless me, right? right? But how many of you will raise your hand and say, I, I, I honestly, I, I want to be a blessing to other people, right? I want to. I want that in my own life. And so I'm going to share with you just a few things. Now, listen, this is, this is not an imposition. This is not me saying you have to do this. I'm just going to tell you what Jennifer and I, the decision we made as followers of Jesus and people that love the local church and love building the kingdom of God and love making a difference. These are three things, three ways that we give, three ways that we live a generous life to make a difference. And I'm going to give you the first one right here. Here's the first one. We've decided that we're going to give strategically, strategically, strategically. Let me, let me show you this. Um, in just a few verses. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8 says this, generous people, generous people plan. Somebody say plan. Generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. I love what John Maxwell, the leadership guru, he says this, he says, people don't plan to fail, people fail to plan. I think that's true in the area of generosity as well. Based on what Isaiah 32 says is that a person that lives generously, like generous to their core, that sees that generosity is a privilege, that generosity is a calling and part of the Christian life, generous people, they actually strategize and plan on how they're going to be generous, and they're committed to the plan. They stand firm in that plan. They have a strategy to do it. I think a lot of times the reason why people can't live a generous life is that they have no strategy at all for their finances. 
So what happens is because we're just, we make money and then we spend money with no strategy. We have zero margin in our life. So then we don't have financial peace in our own life. And then we don't have margin for someone else's miracle. But when we live a strategic life with our finances and we begin to look at it and say, okay, I know I have these bills and I have this and I have this and I have this. But then we begin to look also and say, okay, well, I have a plan for how I'm going to pay my car payment. I have a plan for how I'm going to pay this and I'm going to do this and I have my savings and I have my life insurance and I have all these things and I have my shopping, you know, whatever. And, but, then we, but then we don't have any type of strategy for how we're going to live a generous life to other people. Then what happens is we get to the end of the month or the end of the week or the end of whatever and we're at the end of our paycheck. We have no margin and now we spend all of our money on ourselves. And what I've discovered in my own life, and I've done that before, I lived a portion of my life where I just, I, I just squandered the resources that God brought to my life. And I think in not living strategically, never having margin, I think it was communicating a message to God. God was like, I don't know if I can trust him with any more. Like I kept praying, God, bless me, bless me, Lord, bless me, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And God's like, you cannot even manage what I've already given you. Like, why would I give you more? And you can't even steward well what I've already given you. And so Jennifer and I, we made a decision early on that we were going to be strategic uh, with our giving. Um, one of the areas that we're strategic with our generosity is this. We give, we, we're generous in a lot of different ways. We give to a lot of organizations. Some of them are within our city here. Uh, some of them are nonprofit organizations around the world that we like to get, partner with and give strategically to. But I can tell you the first, the very first place that Jennifer and I are going to give. Now, I'm not saying this just because I'm a pastor of this church, because I just started being a pastor uh, of this church, right? This church is a year old. But for the last 17, 18 years of my life, I've been a Christian and a follower of Jesus planted in a local church. And the very first thing that I do, the very first thing that Jennifer does is we say this. If we're going to give somewhere, the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to give to the local church. Here's why. Because the local church is the hope of the world. God is not coming back. I'm so thankful for all the other organizations that we, we give to and we invest in. But God's not coming back for those organizations. You know what he's coming back for? He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for the church of Jesus Christ. And so Jennifer and I, we've just decided that if, if the church is a big deal to God, it's going to be a big deal to us. And if it's a big deal to us, it will be reflected in, in our resources. If you were to look at our ledger sheet or you look at our monthly thing, if you were to pull up our bank account, if you were to look at that and look at those lines, then you would see what's really important to us. If you were to do that in your own life, you would see what's really important to us. I know one thing that's really important to Jennifer and I is we like to eat dinner at home as a family. Therefore, our grocery bill is always pretty big. But it shows you what's a priority to us. What's a priori priority is he eating good food. Thank you, Jennifer. Good food at home as a family. And you see it. You see it. You know, if you value whatever, you fill in the blank, you'll see it in the place that you spend your money. And so for us, we said strategically, if we're going to be strategic, we're going to give to a strategic place. I think every investor in our city, and we know a lot about that. We have a lot of venture capitalists that are in our city, in our region. And you know what they do? They look for the most strategic place to put their money. They're looking for a place that has great ROI, return on investment. Let me tell you this. If you want to find the greatest ROI, invest in the local church. Some people, I, know, I talk to some people and they're like this. They're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give to other organizations outside of it, people that are really helping the poor. Now, listen, here's one of the things that, uh, that I've discovered about local churches. 
Not every local church can be trusted, obviously. Hopefully, you'll pray and God will speak to you about trusting our church. But I've discovered that healthy local churches, they, have, they spend a healthy portion of their finances on missions. Missions meaning serving the poor, trans, transformational uh, organizations or supporting transformational organizations to serve the poor, to help the oppressed and the marginalized. Healthy local churches do that. This local church does that. We partner with great organizations like Because Justice Matters, City Impact, City Team, just to name a few, Teen Challenge, Salvation Army. That's just here. One Child Matters, Ch Children's Cup. One of the greatest organizations that we're able to partner with is an organization called ARC that plants local churches. We're really passionate about this. We have some of the representatives just right up here, Matt and Allie Laborde. They're part of our team here. They actually, they serve as staff members at ARC, but because they believe in the local church, they sold a big, beautiful house where they live. Now, granted, it wasn't Chelsea, Alabama. That's not the most glorious place to live in. <clears throat> and God, they said, you know what? We're going to sell our massive house because you can buy a big house in Alabama, let's be honest. And they moved into a, a little apartment over here because they wanted to come be a part of this local church because they believe in the local church. But that, that come on, you can clap your hands. But that organization that they are, they're a part of, listen to this, and that we are actually an art church plant, that organization has planted in 15 years 800 and, 810 local churches just like Sozo Church, 810. Now let me tell you why that's important to show you this. Seven, I think it's $7 million a year ARC invest in planting life-giving churches, local churches like this. $7 million a year. Those churches that are planted, look at this. They turn around and give $35 million away in, in global missions, local and global missions to serve the poor. Think about that return on investment. You give $7 million to help start churches, life-giving local churches like this, and there's a very tough vetting process, trust me, I went through it, to be able to receive any of the funding. And then you start a church, and then your missions budget, then it builds a missions budget to be able to transform and change the world. And in those, listen, last year alone, I think in, in uh, one launch Sunday, there's two seasons, in one launch Sunday, a thousand and, I forget the number, is a thousand and... 26 salvations, first-time documented decisions, faith, putting, people putting their faith in Christ in one launch Sunday through those churches. Talk about return on investment. And let me tell you this, you may never give at this church, but I tell you what about Jennifer and I, we have committed our life to building the local church because we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. We believe that one of the most strategic places we can give our resources is to the local church. Now, now, here's what I want to tell you. Jennifer and I, we did not just drift into that decision. We thought about it for a long time. We didn't watch some emotional video. You know, those videos like make you feel so terrible you're crying. By the way, last night I watched a movie called Wonder with Julia Roberts with my, with my six-year-old. I, I was literally, I was weeping and crying. He looks at me, he's like, Dad, you need to get it together. I'm like, oh, God, I'll give money to whoever. Like, okay. You're never going to see us do that as a church. Will we celebrate people's stories and lives being changed? Absolutely. Will it sometimes make you cry? Probably so. But what we'll never do, here's our promise, we'll never come right up and be like, take out your checkbook. Like, that is so weird when people do that. Like, it's just, we're not going to do that. We're never going to pull any punches because we believe that's manipulation. Okay? When a pastor or a church does it, we believe it's manipulation. But what we will do, we'll unapologetically say this. We're never going to tell you what to give or any of those things. But we're going to say, you pray. And you ask the Lord if he would have you give at this church or if he would have you give in this offering or to give towards whatever cause it may be. And we believe that you can hear from the Lord 
and that we're never going to ask you what to do, but we're going to ask you unapologetically to ask the Lord what he'd have you to do. And then you just be obedient to that. Why? Because it's never out of compulsion. If you've ever been to a church like that, which I have, it is so gross-filling, and I can make this commitment to you. Our church will never beg you for money. We're never going to have, like, the give-o-meter up here and, like, oh, we're right here at this point. We need to reach our budget. Like, we're never going to do that. Listen, God's called us to do this. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Okay? God's going to provide for what we're doing. Somebody went, hey, God's going to provide for what we're doing. We're never going to beg people for money. But listen to me. I will unapologetically talk about generosity. Here's why. Because it's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. Because Jennifer and I, our lives have been changed through living a generous life, specifically giving strategically through the local church, watching people come to faith in Jesus. It is one of the most amazing things in our life. 2 Corinthians 9 says, says it like this. Remember, a stingy planter or investor gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your mind what you will give. That uh, says that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Jennifer and I, I can say this, we delight in giving. And one of the foundational ways that we give strategically to this church and through this church is through something called the tithe. I personally don't believe that it's a law. And like, if you don't tithe, God's going to curse you. He's going to be mad at you and lightning bolts are going to strike you dead. I don't believe that. Like, that's just, we're no longer under a curse. Jesus on the cross, he became a curse so that we could receive the blessing of God and the favor of God. Can somebody say amen? amen. We're no longer under a curse. But you do see a pattern in scripture of something called the tithe. It is a pattern, it's a principle, and it teaches us to put God first. And so Jennifer and I, we became what's called a percentage giver. And we started 17 years ago, we started doing this at the church we were a part of. And we looked at our resources when we received an income or an earnings, we would give the first 10%. We'd give God our best, believing he'll bless the rest. That's what we do. We say, God, we're going to give you our best, believing you'll bless the rest. And uh, is, it, is it a law? No. But it is a principle saying, God, I'm putting you first. And here's a, here's a way I'm going to show you. I'm putting you first by giving you my first 10 and giving you my best. And I'm believing this, that you're going to see that and you're going to honor that and you're going to bless my life. We can't buy God's blessing, but I do believe that whenever we prioritize God, God says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to pour my blessings on this person because I know what they'll do with it. So for Jennifer and I, we became percentage givers, but that became the foundation for our giving. We basically made a commitment with each other. We said, you know what, this is our irreducible minimum. It's our foundation. But we're going to now do what 2 Corinthians 8 says. We're going to start growing in the grace of giving. See, the Old Testament talks about the tithe. And so a lot of people say, well, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. We're under a new covenant now. We don't have to tithe. I'm like, that's, that's true. That's right. But, but think about this. Jesus said things. Let's just take about out the giving part. Let's put, put these other things here. Jesus looked at his followers. He said this to him. He said, guys, you've heard it once said. So this is law. You've heard it once said not to murder. And Jesus says this, but I say, don't even look at your brother with anger in your heart. It's a new radical standard. Jesus says, you've heard it once said, this is the law. You've heard it once said not to commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at a woman or your neighbor's wife with a lustful eye. What does Jesus do? He doesn't bring the standard down. He brings the standard up. So when people look to me and they're like, well, you know, Jason, I don't believe in the tithe. I'm like, neither do I. I actually believe in what New Testament says. We should, we should try to love our neighbors as ourselves, which may look like giving away 50%. Ooh, try that one. 
Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 says they just sold all their possessions. They put it all in the middle. Now, I'm not trying to do that. We're not going to create some communal type thing. That's really weird. But, but here's the point. They were willing because of the grace of God in their own heart. They're like, you know what? Life is not about stuff. Life's about making a difference in other people's lives. And so I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to give more. So we give strategically. Let me hurry and give you the second one. Um, I think when you give strategically and you handle your resources strategically, here's what it does. It creates margin in your life. So then you can do the second one. You can give spontaneously. This is the one that I love. Like the strategic piece for Jennifer and I, it doesn't even, like it's, it's just settled. Like we've done it forever. To be honest, it doesn't even engage my heart like it used to. You see, people ask me all the time, like, does the amount matter that you give? I used to say no, but now I say yes. Here's why. Because I think whatever amount you give, even if it's 10%, if that doesn't engage your heart, it's not going to engage God's heart. That's why I know some people that can give 25, 30%, and that still doesn't engage their heart because it doesn't change anything in their life. But I also know other people. I remember my mom, when she worked three jobs to give 2%, engaged her heart. It also engaged her prayer life. (laughs) She'd be on her knees, God, you better provide. Yeah, we ain't paying the bills, right? So here's the point I'm trying to make to you is, is the amount does matter because it's the amount that engages your heart. But for Jennifer and I, the tithe, to be honest, the tithe doesn't even engage our heart anymore. Like I don't even recognize it and see it. We've done that for so long. But this is where God really engages my heart. Created margin in our life. We don't have a ton because we pay rent here. <laughs> but we've created some margin in our life to where when God brings opportunities in front of us, we can be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and then we can like, boom, I'm going to cover that. I want to be a blessing right there. This is really my desire for each and every one of you. Like, my desire for our church is not just that we tithe. Like, that's like foundation. I want you to be in a place where, where now you're, you have margin in your life because you've been strategic with your finances. And now either in our church, through our church, or not even at our church, maybe when you're out to eat, you can just be spontaneous when you're with a group of people. Hopefully I'm there. And the bill comes. And the bill comes. And look at me. You don't even, no one, no one even knows the bill comes because, because, because you snuck off by the server and you gave them your credit card and you covered the bill and you don't even, you don't even need to get the credit for it. You just want to be a blessing. Like, there, I've been able to do that before. It is unreal. I love being able to do that. It's one of the best things ever. Or when you hear somebody saying they're trying to fit, find a ride somewhere and you just, like, pull out your phone, call them an Uber. It is unbelievable. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's a blessing that's in it. Just being able to be spontaneous with it. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 9 says this. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Literally, that means above and beyond. To bless you above and beyond. Why? So that you can buy a new pair of shoes anytime you want to. No, that's not what it says. It says so that in all things at all times, like any time of the day, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's right after the 1st or the 15th, any time, like any time, any time you're, you're ready. God wants to bless you in such a way that at any time, at any moment, having all that you need. See, blessing is this. Here's how you know if you're blessed. God's given you more than you need. That's what blessing is. I have more than I need. He says, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I believe that this is, this is what the Christian life should look like. It should not be a rare occasion. It should be a regular occurrence in your life. If you and I are going to make a difference, if God's going to make a difference through our life in the area of generosity, I believe we have to be willing to be spontaneous. you got to be strategic, but I think you need to be spontaneous as well. You need to live a spontaneously generous life. Deuteronomy says this in chapter 15, give freely. No strings attached. You don't need to be recognized for it. 
You don't need anybody to send you a thank you card. You don't need anybody to to, to say, hey, everybody everybody stop. Uh, Jason just gave us. He just paid for our meal today. We want to all clap our hands. No, you don't need it. You don't need it. It's freely. Listen, give freely. No strings attached. Look, and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle, look at this, the way you handle matters like this triggers God. You're God's blessing in everything you do. All your work and ventures. There are always going to be poor and needy people among you. So I command you, I command you, always be generous. Open purse and open hands. We tell our kids we live with open hands, not only to receive freely, but also to give freely. We want to live with open hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble. Give to your neighbors neighbors in trouble. You're poor. You're hurting neighbors. I love this. Listen, here's what I want to tell you to do with this. When a need comes across you this week, it doesn't matter if it's small or big. If you sense a prompting of the Holy Spirit, maybe it's something at work or something in your neighborhood, and you sense that prompting, I'm going to challenge you. Be obedient. I asked one of my mentors, I said, how did you learn? He, his name is Robert Morse, and he, is, he hears from the Lord more clearly than any person I've ever seen in my life. I was having lunch with him, and I said, Pastor Robert, how did you learn to hear from the Lord like that? Because I want to. And here's what he said, by being generous. I said, explain that to me. He said, when I was young, I remember the Lord speaking to me and said, I want you to give that person $17.37. And he was like, that specific, Lord. Okay, $17.37. He goes, do it. And he said, okay. So he gave the person 17, whatever the amount was, 37 cents. The person broke down crying. That's how much they were short to pay their bills. And he said it ministered to him and he realized God speaks for us to be spontaneous in those moments and be a blessing to people's lives. And he continued to do that. He continued to do that. He said, and through being generous and responding to those promptings spontaneously, he goes, it began to really train my spiritual ear to be able to hear from heaven. I want that in my life. How can you do that? You can, you can man, a need comes across you. Maybe it's a, a group of people eating, man, cover the bill. Maybe it's a homeless person. And maybe you don't feel, you, you see a homeless person on the streets, one of my brothers or sisters that found themselves in that situation. And maybe you feel like, I don't feel comfortable just giving away money because I don't know what they're going to do with it. Well, that's totally fine. Go to McDonald's and buy $50 and $5 gift cards and keep those on you. And when you see someone, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, give them one of those gift cards. They may not receive it, but you do your part. Let God do his part. Amen. Just be spontaneous. Someone needs a ride somewhere, man, cover their Uber. Man, someone forgets their wallet, give them your wallet. Well, don't give them your wallet, but <laughs> Andy has my wallet right now. I'm going to, you better give it back. Here's the other thing I want you to do practically. This can, this, this can even, now how can that make a difference in the kingdom? I'm going to show you how. You don't have to do this every time, but I'm going to give you something very practical. You want something practical? When you leave today, there's, there's a little stand out there by the exit that says make a difference. There's some cards there, and I'm going to tell you straight up, they're invitations to come here. How many of you love this church? I love it. Yeah. Okay. How many think other people, some of your friends would maybe love it? Maybe, if they just got invited. Okay, okay. Maybe not. They may fight you if they find out you're a Christian. <laughs> Depends on where you work. <clears throat> Grab a stack of those cards. Keep them in your purse. Keep them in your bag. That's what I do. Jennifer keeps them in her car. Keep them. You may be at Starbucks. You may be at Bernie's or at Martha's or one of these coffee shops. And when you're there, when you go up there, buy a coffee for somebody or buy your coffee. And when someone's right behind you, you just tell them, hey, I'm going to pay for theirs too. And you just put that card right there. Let them take that card. Be a blessing. And here's what it says. Here's a small gift to brighten your day. Tell you no strings attached. Give freely. Give spontaneously. Um, That's how you can do it. You can be a blessing. Here's a third one, and then Elton can come up. Jennifer and I, we committed to, number one, giving strategically through the local church, through the, in the area of tithing, giving, giving back that 10% to God, saying, God, you bless it. Uh, and then giving spontaneously, but this is the third one, is giving sacrificially. 
I think this is a place where, you, where really our maturity in Christ is tested. Um, I think that there's some seasons of our life where we can't give like this. But I do believe that, that all of us in here, that we can give in some area sacrificially where it adjusts something in our life. And that doesn't have to just be at this church. It could be at an organization that you really believe in. But here's what, it, here's what that means. It means that it's going to, it's going to cost you. Like, I think that, that it, it does something to our heart. I actually believe it heals our heart when we're willing to give sacrificially towards uh, kingdom matters, things that matter to God. I believe that it brings healing to our heart because we are naturally self-centered, selfish people. We naturally are. It's just the way that our heart works. But when we give sacrificially, I believe that God uses it to bring healing and freedom in our own hearts. Uh, look at what this scripture says, 2 Corinthians 8. It says, now I want you to know, I want you to know this, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Look at this. This is so beautiful. They are being tested by many uh, troubles and they are very poor, he said. They don't have any margin. These people are struggling financially. But they are also filled with abundant joy. They're also filled with abundant joy. You know, I've I've been to the slums of Africa and India around some of the poorest people and yet they still have joy. It's amazing. We have so much in in our nation. We're so blessed. Even if you don't feel blessed or rich, listen, you probably have something called uh, a closet. You know what that is? It's a room where your clothes live. Think about that. You have a room where your clothes live. Some people don't even have a room. Room where your clothes live. And then we we go go into that room and what do we do? We we, we open the door, we go in that room, we look at all those clothes and we say, I have nothing to wear. Or, or, or you want to know if we're rich or we're blessed? We, I've done this before. I've complained about slow internet on an airplane. I'm on an airplane. This internet's so slow. Are you kidding me? We're rich. We're blessed. These people, they had joy even though they were poor. And look at this. But that joy, it has overflowed into rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more above and beyond. And they did it um, of their own free will. No one had to beg them to do it. No one had to pressure them to do it. But he said they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing. That's why we say here, one of our values here is generosity is our privilege. We don't have to give, we get to give. We get to give. He says they did it of their, their, own, their own will. It's a privilege of sharing and the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their, their first action, look at this, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I think this is where it starts. You'll never give freely for the Lord unless you've first given yourself fully to the Lord. That, that we give him ourselves first. This is where it all overflows out of. Practically, what am I tell you to do about this? The reason why every week I'm talking a little bit about generosity and making a difference is because the culmination of all this lands December the 2nd, our legacy offering. And I don't want to pull punches that day, like tell some emotional story to get you to give. Every day I want to tell you, pray and ask the Lord if he would have you, if, if he would have you sacrificially give in that offering to make a difference outside of our church, to disadvantaged families, pray and ask him if he'd have you give. And whatever he tells you, if it's nothing, do nothing. If it's something, do whatever it is. Be obedient to what he says. Allow God to use you to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And we're going to be giving away awesome gifts to all those precious kids through Mobilized Love. We're going to sponsor families here at the, at the school. And I'm excited about that. Let me give you this last scripture. And I'm going to pray over you. Last scripture. Where does it come from? Where does the motivation come from? 
This is where Jennifer and I, this is where our motivation comes from. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he can make you rich. I tell you why I give. This is why I give to our church, through our church, and outside of our church. Here's, here's the only reason why I give. I don't give because I feel guilty. I don't give because people pull my emotional strings. I don't do it. I give because I remember what it was like in 2000, in the year 2000, spiritually bankrupt in my mom's apartment, upstairs in a room by myself, weeping and crying, kneeling down on the floor, realizing I was so poor spiritually. I had no purpose. I had no value. I had no identity. That's how I felt. And the grace of God touched my life. God saved me. He redeemed me. He put purpose in my heart. And it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the reality that he left heaven, he sacrificed his life to give his life for me. It's out of that. That's where. I, that's why I give. I don't give because I have to. I give because I get to and because God has already through Jesus Christ given me everything I will ever need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I'm a rich man. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I'm a rich man or I'm a rich woman. You're rich. Let's be a blessing. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. And thank you for this word today. I pray that everybody hears my heart. They know my heart. Um, I can't stand prosperity gospel. I also can't stand poverty gospel, but I do love generosity gospel. Generosity gospel is that God, you loved us for God so loved the world that he, that he gave. You loved us so much that you gave to us. And God, because we love you, we want to give. We want to live generously to our core. We want to keep the flow going. God, we thank you that you bless us so that we can be a blessing. And God, as we continue to bless other people, you'll continue to pour blessings on our life. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that reality and for that promise. God, I pray for our church, that our church would never feel pressured to give, but God, that we would be compelled to be generous because of your generosity towards us. And God, I pray that, that the offerings that we receive here at our church, every, every offering that's ever been received and everyone that will ever be received be, uh, from here will always be a free will offering, would always be motivated out of grace, and that God, that you would use it above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. I pray that you would use it to reach people in our church, people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would use those finances, God, to reach people that will never come to our church. People in Bayview, people in Petrero Hill, God. God, people all the way up in Santa Rosa or in Vacaville, from Antioch, all over that you'll take the resources that come to us and they'll flow through us to be a blessing. You spread it all over the Bay Area and literally all over the world and that people will come to faith in Jesus. God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray for every person here that you would help us to do what 2 Corinthians 8 says, just simply to grow, grow in the grace of giving. Right now, if we've never given before, let us, let us start giving. Maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's to this church. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just at your workplace. God, just let us grow in this. I want to grow in this. I want our church to grow in this so that we can experience your joy, Jesus. We thank you for that today. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.